Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Big show today, Big Money Siege. A couple different storylines we have to get into uh, involving the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I want to mention Jason Robertson, uh, Borja Salming. I want to mention him as well. And of course, it's Monday because, uh, well, not because, but it's Monday. So we have Ask CJ questions. But we have to start with the end of the World Cup for Canada. They do have one more game, but they are eliminated from contention. And I am devastated, Siege. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, the truth is, when we all saw this group and going in, like, I think, you know, you want to hope and, and you just hope they could have squeezed out some points and, and found a way to get to the next round. But I, I wasn't that, I wasn't expecting it to happen. It's just in the Belgium game, they played so well and and then scored, you know, two minutes into the game against Croatia. And you, you start to think like, oh, maybe there's some sort of dream finish coming here. But uh, the, the, the next 89 minutes of that game were pretty sobering reality uh, of, you know, how far Canada has to go as a soccer nation or just how much class Croatia has as a team. Um, it, it really, it really wasn't close. It, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of drama. It felt more like a death march through the rest of that game. But I must say, I don't remember the last time I was ex- ex- excited for something in a sporting event as that Alfonso Davies goal. Like, like just to have it, it's like a strike of lightning, like that quick in the game, beautiful goal, nice finish. And obviously a long time coming. So, I mean, they, they, look, I think there's a lot of good things that we'll remember out of this. And there's still a chance to ruin the tournament for Morocco, which, you know, you start looking for <laughs> you start looking for secondary things. Right. Because the game matters to Morocco. So I think I, I would argue if Canada finds a way to get a result there, that that's still working because you're playing a, a motivated opponent, uh, even if you don't have the same motivation yourself. So um, this is still a positive step, big picture. But, uh, man, it's over before it began. If Canada can't have anything nice, why should Morocco have anything nice? <laughs> right. But I'm not getting into that war. None of this F this country, F that country stuff. No, 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 no. Absolutely I'm not. I'm just saying that there is there's stakes on the game for Morocco because the group is still to be decided. So I, I think it's it's not just an asterisk win if you get a win there. Like, obviously, it doesn't, doesn't change the campaign for Canada. But I think it might change the feeling of the tournament in general, just playing well and losing to Belgium, not having their best game against Croatia and maybe getting a victory. I think that there's there's something that can be drawn for that. Not to mention, you know, there's some pride in coming back and playing when you've officially been eliminated. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's not easy to do. I mean, look, at you're saying you're disappointed. I mean, imagine how the players feel after all the, the run up to this and to be out after two games. 100%. Uh, and look, if they beat Morocco, if they get a result against Morocco, Still an improvement on 1986 where they did not get a win. They did not get a point. They did not score a goal. They already have a goal and they look competitive against one of the best sides in in Belgium. So this is already an improvement on what they did in 1986. I mean, did did the head coach in 1986 even uh, trash talk the opposing team before the game like John Herdman did with Croatia? I mean, I don't even know if we have that. Oh, no. I mean, come on. This was such an awesome because remember, the World Cup is it's the tournament, but it's also the, the year, year and a half of qual. Like this was such a fun ride. And I think you, you can already be excited. I mean, you know, Canada is going to host games, some of the games in 2026. It's going to be here in North America. I'm sure the focus on it will be even greater because of that. 
um, from, you know, for those of us in North, looking at it from a North American perspective, like, I think it's going to be awesome. Now, now, now we know the team is capable of this. Now it's, it's about trying to reach higher levels. Right. And, and there's still so many young players on the team that will be in their, their prime years still when the next tournament comes around. I mean, I, I don't think it's hard to find positives here. I don't think we're stretching. I mean, again, it was still Canada, right? You had to play Belgium and, and Croatia in your first two games of the World Cup. Like it was not, it was, they're already walking up Everest. It was just a matter of, can they, can they summit it a little sooner than we'd expected? But I, I think realistically, this is, this is still a good, it's just, it's just a good experience for everyone to go through it. And, and yeah, I'm just sad that, that I would love to have watched that game the, the final game in the group stage with with something riding on it. I mean, even if it was still a long shot, it just it's just it's disappointing that there, it's, there's no way through now. Uh, last thing before we bring on David Bastel for Sports Interaction. Which Canadian men's player to this point has impressed you the most? Hmm. I don't know. I'll probably go with Davies. I thought he was the one guy that was really not just because he scored in the game, but I thought he he had things going on in, in that second game. It was hard to it was hard to find players to like in the second game. You know what I mean? Um, I think you know the midfield just got caved in, and you know you give up four goals. I mean, it's just it's just hard to it's hard to find positives there. But I, I thought that Davies looked like a bit of, of a man on an island at times. You know, especially when it was still two one, three one. Like when there still was at least some glimmer of hope that maybe they could scratch out a, a draw. Um, you know, he still there, there was a lot of good things happening when the ball was on his side of the field. It's just, you know, it's just pretty clear to me that that Canada has to develop more players. But again, I, like I don't think that that's a hot take. Or it's not something we wouldn't have deduced anyway ahead of time. I mean, you, you still got some thirty-nine-year-old players starting for Canada. I mean, it's just it's just not. We don't have all the quality yet, but man, it was still fun. I, I don't want to be too much of. I don't want to be too critical. I guess no. Um, I think because I think. Just getting there matters, honestly. Like it, it does count for something, and and the way they played, you know, that's why I'm, this third game can I think can really be sort of interesting because again, we all know it doesn't really matter, but if they finish strong, if they get a win, I think people will will view this as a positive. I mean, Canadian soccer fans. I humbly agree with you, and this concludes the CJ football corner for the World Cup, at least. Uh, I love that we were a footy happened. pod for two two shows, and now now it's like, all right, and back to your regular schedule program. <laughs> we have to give the people what they want. Hopefully, the people at least enjoyed uh, some of the soccer content we were able to provide on the CJ show. Uh, but it's now it's time to bring on David Bastel from uh, Sports Interaction. As always, Sports Interaction for those nineteen and over. We ask that you please play responsibly, and there will be a link to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this show. It's time for You Can Bet That. The last time we talked about Jason Robertson, I believe he was out of contract. That has since been resolved. Why is Jason Robertson still playing like he's in a contract year? Dude is balling out. Because he's damn good, man. I mean, we don't need high-level analysis for that. I mean, what a cool story. You know, so many of the NHL guys that we would call a superstar – you know, we've known about them since they were 14 years old in a lot of cases. You know, there's been sort of like there's already anticipation for Connor Bedard to enter the league. Like if he becomes an NHL superstar, no one will be surprised. Right. Um, but but very rarely is it a player that's drafted in the second round. as Jason Robertson was, you know, spent some time in the AHL with the Texas Stars. He's still only 23. But I, I think that we're at a point we can 
maybe Brandon with that label. Like it might be too soon. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, we had 41 goals last year, uh, 80 points, give or take. So about a point a game player last year. Now, now here he is second in league scoring to Connor McDavid as we record this. And it's clearly taken a, a huge production jump, 18 goals in 22 games. I mean, I, I think he's on that trend line where it's like, we got to be paying attention here. I mean, he leads the league in goal scoring. He leads the league with five on five goals, you know, second in points, 15 game point streak. People recording this. I mean, there's there's a lot of things to to kind of bring to the table here with that discussion. And frankly, you go back to that the contract. He's what seven point seven five million AAV. Like he's already a bargain. He just got a four year deal on in early October. Missed most of training camp. He's already a bargain. Like like you tell me the stars wouldn't do that. 10 out of 10 times again. Um, it's a great story. It really, it's, it's kind of unique. Like again, he's not a, like, I don't want to present it like he's a nobody that's come out of nowhere, but you know, he heard 30 odd players called to the, the, the draft stage ahead of him just a few years ago. And now there's very few players ahead of him in terms of offensive production. In the league. league leader in goals at 18, as of this recording, second in league scoring, as you mentioned before, 15 game point streak in which he's had 16 goals and 28 points in that span. Like, like I feel like we should be talking more about Jason Robertson. And there's a part of me that feels like, I mean, look, Connor McDavid, obviously going to dominate the headlines. We expect him to sustain his production throughout this whole year. But considering how he's playing, uh, Jason Robertson, I mean, considering what the Dallas Stars are looking like right now, if they find a way to keep this production going, what does this do for Jason Robertson's MVP chances? I, I think it's maybe it's early, but like I want to start asking that question. Well, I, I, it's a fair question, right? We're, we're talking about a hard trophy, most viable to your team. I think it's going to be if he's if he look at he's probably going to cool off at some point. Like this is this is an extreme heater, but it, you know if he's going to finish at one point three or one point four points per game. You know, if he's right up at the top of he, if he leads the league in goals, I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to be hard to make a case he's the most valuable player to the Stars season. Um, you know, right now he's playing with Rope Hintz and, and Joe Pavelski on a line. So, you know, and, and Joe Pavelski just keeps going and going as a as an older skater in the league. He's, he's been very productive. Um, but, you know, it's not it's not as though there's, you know, sometimes the Conor McDavid-Leon Dreisaitl thing can be, you know, difficult when you're trying to identify the player most viable to his team or, or you know, even Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, there's at least a debate about, you know, how much they play into each other's success. Um, you know, Jason Robertson's not surrounded by nobodies, but I, I think that that he's he's popping a little more than you, you would expect. You know, what else is interesting to, about him to me, Julian, he, he only plays 17 and a half minutes a night right now. Like he, he literally plays five minutes less per game than Connor McDavid, which I mean, I guess there's two ways to look at that. You can look at that like he's not relied upon as much by his coach as Connor McDavid is. So maybe that's, you, you could view it as a strike or you could view it as a positive or even just be saying, Hey, Peter DeVore, is it time to be playing this guy a little bit more? Um, you know, I, it's, it's a, it's a great story for the league and, and it's cool for him. And, and I'm, I'm still just blown away that he had to sit out training camp and he's, he's just picked up like he didn't miss, miss a day. You know, that, that often goes the other way. Right. And, you know, he he literally didn't have a training camp, and he, and right really from the start of the year, he's he's been one of the the big drivers for the for the stars. Could you argue that uh, Jason Robertson might be a little bit more efficient, considering that even if he is playing fewer minutes, he's still producing the way that he's producing? Yeah, it's funny. So I was looking up on natural stat trick about him. You know, his his points per sixty 
at five on five is basically at the top in the league, but actually Sidney Crosby is slightly ahead of him. But, um, you know, just in terms of even strength points for the minutes he plays, he's, he's one of the most efficient uh, producers in the league. And again, even when you're in the same conversation as Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, I mean, he's keeping company with players that, that frankly he was never supposed to be as good as. And so, I mean, I think full credit to him. I had a good chat with him earlier in the year, actually, you know, he was, he was telling me like the hardest part and, and you know, I'm sure he's not alone with this of, of his draft day was, you know, he had to come the Friday and then I think he went with the 39th pick, I want to say, but he, he had to sit through the whole Friday night and didn't get picked and then, you know, put the suit back on Saturday morning and come back and he, he was picked really quickly by Dallas, but he just, you know, it was a long wait uh, to get picked and, and, you know, he, he didn't have any, he, he thought that the teams didn't necessarily miss anything about him, but, but he was mentioning in Kingston uh, where he played the Ontario hockey league, the year after his draft year, he got more of an opportunity to play in the top six and, and made the most of it, you know, credited the stars for giving him top six minutes in the AHL. And and I think sometimes for offensive players, it is opportunity. Someone like him probably isn't going to, it might not, might, it might give you as much on a fourth line, right? You might, might take a while to see the, the skill that's there, but um, man, man, he's, uh, he's having a great year and, and you're right. I think that he started to get some of that national love. I know he's got tons of love in Dallas and, and lots of fans down there, but, um, I think that the rest of the league is waking up to him too. Yeah. Uh, any other general thoughts on the Dallas Stars and how they play? I know we kind of already went through contenders and pretenders last week. I well, I like what I see there. I mean, they're, they're starting to score more. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Like they, they've they've had some ups and downs, like a lot of teams. Um, but I really like the mix of the team. Pretty solid blue line. Jake Ottinger looks like a goaltender of. Well, maybe the future, but also the moment. Um, and and then they they're getting scoring. So I you know I, I don't see any reason why they can't put it together and have a big run. But um, you know I think that they're probably looking for another forward at some point in time uh, to round out their group as we get towards the trade deadline. But you know I, I think they're positioned well to to take a step. And and you know, the coaching change there has probably paid off for them because you know, it was a lot of years. It's funny because Rick Bonus is getting results in Winnipeg. It sort of reminds me, you know, like. Like Bruce Cassidy leaves the Bruins. The Bruins have been awesome, but but he's had tons of success in Vegas. You know, Rick Bonus leaves Dallas. I think Winnipeg's better off for having Bonus, but I think Dallas has probably benefited from from a change in system too because um, Rick Bonus, you know, did, didn't allow a lot of offensive creativity. We'll call it. And so, you know, I think I think that team is is hanging around right there. They're, they're in the second tier. I don't put them as a top tier contender, but if things go right and they come together, I mean, why not? All right. Uh, let's get to two other quick notes before we get to ask CJ here. Uh, first off in Vancouver, there's a bit of a weird story developing uh, with a former video coach staffer, Rachel Dory, uh, that kind of broke out on the Internet yesterday. Uh, I was actually on a plane on the way home and the news was kind of breaking. If you can, just because this is a bit of a story that's kind of rumbled under the surface. And I think it's the first time we're kind of discussing it. Is it possible we could just kind of lay out the facts of of what we know so far of of why there seems to be a discord between her and the Vancouver Canucks? Sure. So Rachel was hired by the Canucks back in, in the spring. Um, over the summertime, she was promoted to a job where she was supposed to help assist the, the coaching staff. And ultimately, she was let go by the team in late September um, without cause, meaning they, they would have to pay her out whatever the severance was called for in her contract. But, you know, a pretty abrupt dismissal of, of someone who was brought in with some celebration too, right? I mean, this this was part of a wave of of, of hiring of, of females by the Canucks. 
uh, and something that, that Jim Rutherford and others in the organization talked about wanting to, to diversify the organization. And, you know, what's happened now is Rachel has come forward with a, a human rights uh, complaint against the Canucks, you know, alleging um, some some mistreatment from from her boss, who was the assistant general manager, Emily Castingay. Um, and, you know, is has disclosed, you know, I think what, what stood out to me in reading the, the details of her complaint is, is, you know, she's got a, she's had a very difficult time with this. She's, she's details quite openly and honestly, some of the mental health challenges and even some of the physical challenges that she faces and, and how this was not a positive situation for her. And so, you know, I, I, we'll have to see where it goes next from here. I mean, what's true is that she, she no longer works for the Canucks, will not work for the Canucks, but she's brought forward some complaints here that, you know, ultimately a, a human rights tribunal potentially, I guess, will will uh, hear and rule on. I mean, I, I suppose there's always a chance for some other kind of settlement that happens ahead of time. Um, but, you know, Rachel's done it very publicly too. You know, she's got a big following. You know, I, I know her, I'm sure you know her. I've spent time with Rachel um, mm -hmm. over the years. And so, you know, I, I, you know, in reading it, I just felt, I just feel bad for her. I mean, it, it just sounds like a really difficult situation. Um, you know, I think what, what the court would ultimately have to look at or, or the, the human rights tribunal is whether the Canucks could or should have done more in terms of looking after her health. Um, and that's not really, I, I don't, I don't know how that will, will shake out, but that's, that's kind of where we're at there. And you're right. It's, it's an unusual circumstance to have something like this play out so publicly, but you know, one of the things Rachel mentioned in her tweet, uh, where she linked to the document was, you know, she been suffering in silence and she, you know, for her, it was important to get it out there publicly. And so, you know, we should also mention too that Canucks put out a statement after she released this on Sunday night, uh, where Emily Castingay categorically denied and said some of the 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 facts were misrepresented or untrue. Uh, the Canucks denied any wrongdoing, and so you know we'll see where they go from here. Yeah, that's as best as we could put it. Uh, we'll provide more updates on that as soon as we can. And uh, the other quick note I want to get to before I ask CJ uh, after our last show ended, um, I forget exactly how long it took. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Boya Salming, the longtime Hall of Fame Toronto Maple Leafs and Detroit Red Wings defenseman, uh, passed away after his uh, lengthy battle with ALS. Um, we've spoken about him before. We've spoken about the tributes that were given to him uh, by the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, just days before his passing. Uh, I know even as someone who's not even a Leafs fan or or someone who and I know we both weren't necessarily watching in his prime in his prime years, uh, but definitely just, just hearing and, and knowing a little bit more about the story with Borea Salming, uh, definitely someone who touched a lot of people and uh, just felt it was important to acknowledge the fact that uh, uh, he has unfortunately passed away. Yeah. And I think this was a stunner, even though of course we knew he was in a difficult battle and that, that his health had declined pretty quickly. He'd lost the ability to speak, but you know, it's not even two weeks since he was honored in those two games in Toronto. He made an appearance at a, a big hockey gala in Stockholm a, a week after that. And and then to find out he died was, was really stunning, honestly. Um, and, you know, what I'm struck by though, Julian is, is just looking at and imagining how you might deal with a similar hand, uh, you know, how open he was with, with, with his ALS battle, um, you know, let, let some reporters and cameras into his life in Sweden. And, and I think, you know, has, has launched a foundation in his own name, um, to, to help raise funds. I, I know that the, the Swedish Hockey League games played over the weekend. There was a certain amount um, donated to that foundation for every goal scored in the SHL. Um, yeah, I think Borea 
maybe maybe when time passes and we have a full view of this, that 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 decision, you know, might leave a legacy even bigger than he did on the ice, and and is you know it was a considerable on ice achievement. But you know, I I think that he's brought a lot of attention to a difficult cause. You know, hopefully a lot of money's raised. There's there's talk now of a a game being held in Sweden later this year with with NHL legends and players coming over from North America to raise to raise money again, um, you know, for this foundation. And so, you know, it's uh, it's it's sad and and you know it seems a little surreal, frankly, to to see him die so quickly. But at the same time, you know, what a what a legacy he left. And and you know, I, I do feel that it's valuable. And 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 I would imagine for his family. You know, once they get through processing this, that they will be very appreciative that they at least had the chance to come to Toronto one final time so soon before his death to, to soak in that love. I mean, you can say for certainty, Borja Salmi knew how much he was appreciated and loved by by the fans of the Maple Leafs with the way he got those ovations and, and the way that they were welcomed back to the city um, when he was dealing with what he was dealing with. Got to see some former teammates. I saw a picture floating around the internet that that he and Lanny McDonald, um, Tiger Williams, and they, they went to Maple Leaf Gardens, actually, which is, of course, not where the Leafs play anymore, but where Borea played for the Leafs and snapped the photo outside of there. So, you know, there's some nostalgia to that that trip, too. Um, and it was, you know, it's, it's kind of close to a Lou Gehrig type of moment as you might get, right? You know, Gehrig famously said, for those that are maybe too young, I feel like the luckiest man on earth today when he got a, sort of a final chance to address the Yankee fans, you know, when, when he first got sick with his illness. I mean, um you know, it's it's a horrible, terrible thing. I know it affects lots of families out there. It affects other members of the hockey community. For Snow, you know, the assistant GM in Calgary. Um, Mark Kirton as well, former Maple Leafs player, former teammate, actually, of Boris Holmings, uh, is, is dealt with ALS. And so, you know, it's it's uh, it's a, just a brutal, awful disease. It took a great man too soon. But I think if we're searching for some of the, the bright side here is, is Boria has left quite a legacy and and let's hope that that his foundation you know helps further the the cause towards a cure and and gives other families in the position that he and his family have been in you know a little bit more comfort at times when when they have to deal with this illness yeah i'm glad we were able to touch off on boya salming may he rest in peace and condolences to his family a bit of a tough transition as we head into a segment that uh, we love to do on mondays ask cj we'll be taking questions uh, from you watching this episode or listening to this episode. We're taking questions off of Twitter and off of Discord. CJ, are you ready for the mountain of questions that await you? Absolutely. Goofier the better. Let's start off with the goofy question from Giant Pie 12 on Discord. What two ice cream flavors work best together? Ooh. Well, I, I think it's got to be simple ones, right? So I'll I mean, go, it could be. I'll go vanilla and strawberry. That is pretty basic. I wonder if they were looking for like something Either. a little bit more. I don't know. But I mean, vanilla, strawberry, obviously. I mean, vanilla with almost anything works because like that could just work as a base. Right. I was just thinking when I was a kid and sometimes we get that Neapolitan ice cream, I would usually avoid the chocolate third. So like I would, I preferred the vanilla and strawberry of that mix. So that's that's literally how my brain got to that answer. I normally eat the strawberry and leave everything else uh, from the Neapolitan. Right. So vanilla strawberry, final answer. Okay, lock it in. Vanilla strawberry, final answer for CJ. 
What's your favorite game show? Speaking of final answer. Oh, I used to love Who Wants to Be a Millionaire back in the really? day. Like when it was new, uh, Jeopardy, Jeopardy is a classic that like it's hard to mess with Jeopardy. Um, I liked Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego when I was a kid. That's a game show? I thought it was just like a computer game. There was like kind of a game show version of it. Really? I'm going, yeah, I'm throwing way back, bud. Yo, I had no idea. I thought that was just like some. I had no idea that. that okay, I have to look this up after we do. Up in Ontario, Kid Street was a pretty good game show when I was a kid. Wow, never yeah. heard of that. That's but that's crazy. that's a really specific niche audience. Like like five percent of our listeners are going to know exactly what I'm talking about, and the other ninety five percent are clicking forward right now. Okay, the that at least I'm willing to bet fifty percent of the audience remembers the show Uh Oh on YTV with all the slime. You might not remember. That might be too I old don't. for you. See? <laughs> too the stuff's all generational. Like you're there's only there's a really small window of your life where you're watching kid kid themed game shows, right? And That's it's true. usually when you're a kid. So uh oh is probably when I was less of a kid than, than you were. Yeah. Uh well, I will say this before we move on to the next question. My dream is to be on an episode of The Price is Right. That is my dream. My hope is one day uh I get to be on that show. Maybe one day. Who knows? Okay. Uh, from Basher on Discord, do you know if teams can get fined for fans throwing things onto the ice? I, I, the short answer is I don't think there's like a direct policy in place, but you know there is some precedent here. You remember there was a time when when the Florida Panthers threw all the plastic rats on the ice to fans after goals. And mm -hmm. eventually the league threatened to, to penalize Panthers players if the fans kept doing that. So I realize that's not quite the same thing as a fine. Um, but I, I suppose, and I, I'm, I'm guessing this is in reference to the, the incident at the Prudential Center with the Leafs and Devils last week. I suppose if this continued to be a, like an issue at the Prudential Center with Devils fans, the league might come in and try to impose some sanctions. Um, let's just hope it doesn't come to that. I know we scolded. We scolded everyone in the last episode. I don't need to do another round of it. But um, yeah, there's not really a policy in place. But if it would, became a persistent problem, I think the league would ramp up the penalties to try to, to basically to do anything to, to have people be not throwing things on the ice. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's the easy answer. But I mean, I think I know the league was happy with the way the security people handled it in New Jersey at the time. Like, there's only so much you can do, right? There's whatever, 18,000 people in the building. There's not that many security guards. If you want to throw a beer on the ice, odds are you can do it. You're going to get removed. You're probably going to get banned from the stadium if they identify you. Uh, but you can, like, I think there's only so much that can be done if, if that many people want to get unruly. Exactly. Uh, we're back to the silly questions from a Florida man, Matt Maroon on Discord. I want to know if you're going to answer this question or how you're going to answer this one. Who could chug more beers, Pierre Lebrun or CJ? CJ. Okay. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you why, because Pierre's way too classy to ever do something like that. Ah, uh, wait, wait a minute. Wait a wait a damn minute. Don't downplay your own classiness. I'm I'm younger and more more prone to maybe getting drawn into doing something like that. Oh wow. he's not like a party animal or anything. Okay, fine. So you're saying it's not a like fair three fight. Kids and and lots of jobs. I'm just saying I'm probably more likely to engage in that kind of behavior. Not that I have okay. a little 
I can't remember the last time I chugged a beer. Okay. Well, you're just saying this is this wouldn't be a fair fight. So that that's how I'm taking it. Yeah, uh, I'm just saying pl- only one of those two people would actually participate. So I'm going to win by default. Okay. That's fair. From Sully14 on Discord. Uh, a hockey question. Not sure how it would, how it would work contract wise, but with injuries on the Leafs blue line, is it time to sign call up Topi Nimola? Um, no, is the easy answer. Um, you know he's still a, he's still a prospect developing. Um, the Leafs, I think, still have reasonably high hopes for him. I haven't heard too much about him, if I'm being honest, this season and, and his development and, and where that's gone. But you know, I think that it's. It's fair at this point that they have, well, they're playing six guys every game. They also have now Connor Timmons would be the seventh. And it's not that long that before TJ Brody's back and then Morgan Riley after that, Jordy Ben. So I think that they have enough depth that, that that won't, wouldn't be the way they'll go. You know, what I'm, I'm curious to see is though, as we get closer to the deadline is, you know, are they in the market for a defenseman? Do they look at this period? Because the truth is, as we're recording this, they've actually done pretty well by giving, Sandine and Lilligren more minutes. You know, they're on a three-game win streak headed into their game Monday night in Detroit. Um, they've played a lot out of Mark Giordano uh, and Justin Hall in particular. Like, like they're patching it together okay. They're playing pretty well as a team. And so I wonder if one of the, the outcomes of this is maybe they don't, they don't feel that they have to go and make a, a move for defensemen as we get close to the deadline. I mean, that might be the, the kind of ironic part of what, what gets learned during this period. And, and I do know... You know, Kyle Dubas, when he when he saw Morgan Riley added to the injury list, um, and then obviously subsequently Jordy Benz, so the Leafs are down four defensemen. They're down their top three defensemen, though. That that he was thinking this was an opportunity to learn about what he has, and maybe what he's going to learn is that they don't need to go get anybody uh, at least at that position, and they're using their available cap space maybe to add a forward. Yeah, maybe just getting Connor Timmins is sufficient. Yeah, I anyway. mean, I, I'm not sure what to make of the Timmins thing. I mean, look, it was a low acquisition cost, right? Uh, they traded Curtis Douglas, an AHL player, um, who may become an NHLer. Certainly, intriguing player. He's six foot eight and scored a lot of goals in junior. Um, but you know, Timmins has also had was was certainly a top prospect, you know, back in the day. But has had a lot of injury issues. You know, he was in a position where he he wasn't going to be in Arizona's plans, uh, and and so you know, I think he's a bit of a project for the Leafs. But given that he's big body, right hand shot. Uh, which is something they don't have a lot of. I, I don't see any any downside to it, but I just I'm not sure yet what how significant of a role he's going to end up playing. I mean, they made this trade even with all these injuries, he still hasn't gotten in the lineup. So I think that 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 kind of tells you they want to ease him in, and, and certainly as they get healthier, it might be tough for him to find a spot to play with the NHL team. But I guess we'll have to see how that develops. Next one from Rico: Any rumblings on where the Devils and Jesper Brat stand on extension talks? Nothing too specific. You know, I, I don't think that at this point, though, I mean, it's something that's necessarily going to get done during the season. Uh, he's a restricted free agent. So, you know, the, the Devils will still own his rights and he's having a great year. So, you know, why why mess the, the Apple card up at this point? And I know it took them a while to get their the last deal done with him. And so pretty confident saying the man's going to get paid pretty well on his next deal. I got no reason to believe it won't be in New Jersey, but I, I, I don't think that that's the kind of contract that's going to come down um, during the season. But but we'll have to see how that that plays out. Maybe the Devils are going to seek that certainty at some point in time. But I don't see any any reason to have to rush through this. And especially if you're Jesper Bratt and you're playing well and you're producing points, I mean, why not wait and see 
you know, exactly what total you get to this year, because that will impact where, what you can do next summer when you become a, a restricted free agent. From Simon Cooper, what are the best rivalries in the Western Conference, Eastern Conference, and Interconference? Oh, man, that's tough. I mean, Rangers-Islanders jumps out to me. Bruins-Canadians is always a traditional rivalry and bolstered by a lot of playoff series over the years. Um, you know, Pittsburgh-Washington is a pretty good rivalry with Crosby and Ovechkin. And again, I think that the key ingredient is lots of playoff series over the years. Um, Western Conference. I mean, there seemed to be some legitimate bad blood between the Sharks and Golden Knights at a certain point. Um, but I don't know if that's there. And obviously the Sharks aren't, aren't really in, in the contending mode anymore. So that might have fallen off. I mean, we had a battle of Alberta last year. Calgary Edmonton's pretty spicy. Um, I know both teams are maybe playing a little below where they'd expect to be at this point in November, but you know, there's a chance we'll see them in the playoffs again and that that'll get going. Uh, I don't know about interconference. Is there anything that jumps to mind for you? Um, like, I feel like the, the rivalries are either geographic based or they're based on recent sort of reasons for bad blood or for animosity. You know, like there's a time Chicago and LA, they played a couple of Titanic series or two of the best teams in the West. Like that was a great rivalry, but I'm not sure I would consider it a rivalry today because both organizations are a long way from that point. Um, Colorado Detroit is the first thing that stands out to me, but it's nowhere near the rivalry it was in the 90s and the 2000s. Nowhere right. near. And in the 90s and the 2000s, Detroit was in the Western Conference. So it wasn't an intern. It didn't start off it as was. an interconference rivalry, right? Yeah. Um, it's a good question, though. I, but I think one I think hockey's a sport that's that's kind of built on rivalries to some some degree. And, and that's I don't like this playoff format. I've said it in the past. I don't need to hammer on it again here. But the the one argument that I can't really counter is that it does it does set up where you're going to get more rivalry type series, certainly geographically, with the way they're, they've gone strictly to the, the divisional playoff format. I just I'm just not sure it's the most fair way uh, to do it because you know sometimes we're having the, the the first overall play the fifth overall team in in round one. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Last one for you from Feral UP. Anaheim just won their first game in regulation. I think this happened last week. Did you expect them to be this bad? No, I don't think I did. I mean, right now they're 32nd in the league in the standings. They're 32nd in the league in their penalty kill. They're 32nd in the league in their power play. Um, you know, I'm a glass half full person, but it's hard to find where the glass is half full in Anaheim. Unless, I suppose, if you want to say, well, their odds at Connor Bedard might end up uh, be pretty good. And, and you know, that is a franchise over the years, if you look at it, has not had much draft lottery luck. They, they've not picked at the top of the draft too often. I mean, even when they, they got Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry, um, you know, they did so not with with first overall draft picks. And so um, that's that's probably the only place I'd say say that there's there's good news to be found with the Ducks. But, you know, they're, they're in some degree of disarray. You know, I, I think that they're at a point, though, where this was going to be a rebuilding year regardless. Um, but, you know, let's face it, uh, it's been, what, about a year now, almost since Pat Verbeek's been the general manager. I'm sure while there's some long nights in, in the front office watching those games, you know, he's he's looking at the big picture. He's going to be a seller as we get to the, the trade deadline again. I mean, he signed John Klingberg to a one-year deal with a no-trade clause that, that ends on January 1st. So, you know, he's going to be open for business on the other side of the holidays. And, and while all these losses um, 
can't be too much fun to watch if you're a fan of the team. Um, there's a there's a bigger there's a bigger picture at play here, just as there is in Arizona, even Montreal to a degree. I think Columbus is in that same conversation. I mean, some of these teams, either through injury or just where they're at in their cycle, are are just not going to win you know much more than thirty percent of the games this year. This is all getting me excited for March third. Oh yeah, if we're gonna have a good trade period again, I, I'm pretty sure of that. That's gonna be fun. I just just if it's anything like last year. Well, it's not so far off, right? I mean, our next episode, we're into December. Um, you know, obviously our holiday roster freeze kicks in in mid-December, but then basically once you get on the other side of Christmas and New Year's, I mean, then then you're into the period where typically you do see trades. And, and you know, a lot of teams, a lot of GMs would prefer to get a jump on the market if they can. I mean, some some teams from a cap perspective are incentivized to wait until the last possible day because they're accruing cap space and, and it makes it so they can do a little bit more. But yeah, like once we get into January, February, there's going to start to be some action. Yeah, can't wait for that. Uh, that's going to do it for today's edition of Ask CJ. And that's going to do it for today's edition of the Chris Johnston Show. We made it, buddy, through another edition of this great podcast. Were you worried? Was this, were you, did you have like some Monday scaries or anything about this one? Or mm, nah. You know what? I'll say this. Considering like the weekend I had where I had to be at like a wedding and a funeral, I didn't watch as much hockey as I would like. So maybe there's like a part of me that's like, oh, man, I got to make sure I'm on one. But uh, I'm never really in doubt about how these shows go. Well, as long as you as long as you watch soccer, you had the first segment done. <laughs> you didn't even barely have to watch hockey to, to get through this episode. And there's there's the secret, pal. Even soccer, like I only heard the first goal from Alfonso Davies on the radio. I was like in the car with my mom. And then I they they announced the goal and I was just like screaming. We were both screaming in the car. It was amazing. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you could get home. Sorry, it wasn't all pleasure, obviously, going to a funeral. But um, yeah, I hope you get back for the holidays too. Busy man. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely be back for, for the holidays. There, there are people. Uh, my friend Salim Valji was saying that uh, I seem to be flying more than George Clooney in In the Air or Up in the Air. There's some movie that he was in called that or something. Maybe you Come know. On, I even saw that movie, man. That's a good movie. <laughs> I bet it is. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it was just about a, a business traveler that basically spends his life in airports and, and hotels and the like, which quite honestly looked a lot like my life for about 10 years. I'd add hockey rinks onto that too, and that was basically what it was. By the way, people, don't scratch your eyes. CJ just explained the plot of a movie to me and not the other way around. <laughs> that did just happen. I love it, man. I love it. I love it, too. Movie Corner's coming back soon. Yes, of course. We will have that, especially uh, before the end of this calendar year. Uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, whether on the SDPN YouTube channel or through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the like. Uh, join the Discord, buy stuff from the SDPN store, and we'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode shout out to uh, cj who is now holding up his sdpn gray sweater which i was about to say looks really good on you the whole ensemble you got right now with the the hat the bear hat of course and the sweater great <laughs> thanks bud have a great week you too for cj i'm julian saying so long peace the chris johnson show Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.